Hey, this is Sandra. This is Jess. And this is Emily. And you are listening to Town Meeting, a Gilmore Girls Rewatch podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, welcome back to A Tale of Pose and Fires, part two. And we have the yes. bits. Mm-hmm. I love this part. Yeah, these are nice. These feel these feel really cozy. See, you guys are all chill, and (laughs) oh, I like these parts because neither of you are doing the summary today, so you're okay to be chill. But I'm doing the summary. Yes. So, Sandra, (laughs) are you prepared to tell us all about Pose and or fires? I I am. Um, actually. Oh no, she's not. I'm not. Um, did your notes disappear? <laughs> yeah, my notes. Uh, I'm good. Okay, I think I'm good. Okay, okay. We'll see. Um, <laughs> the wrong version saved. Oh, so I don't think I have the version, my final version. So we're just gonna go with it. All right, it's fine. Uh, this... count me down. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. There's a bad vibe this week. Lindsay and Nicole don't like the Gilmore Girls. Jess seems to be working too much. Paris has given up, and Harvard is no longer a given for Rory. And oh yeah, there's a fire at the inn. Lorelai goes into emergency mode, opening her house to the Post Society guests, forcing her to bunk with the snoring Luke and Jess. Meanwhile, Suki takes over the diner, Kirk makes t-shirts, Jess lies to Rory, and Lane realizes Young Chu is in love with her. The episode ends with a gain and a loss. Yale is on the wall, but the inn has been destroyed. The end? Yeah, you had three or four whole seconds. Yeah. Okay. Guys, this is getting too easy. <laughs> Don't say that because it's still really hard for me. <laughs> I, I will be honest. That was not the version that I was supposed to do. I had more about the post society. Uh, you did not mention the two Raven readings, but I didn't. you did mention but the But I didn't mention them. Yeah. Okay. So I'm good? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. You sound very disappointed Emily's by that. Emily's going to be the Simon yeah. Cowell this time. <laughs> I, I need you to fail so we can all be What even. a dated reference. My God. <laughs> Young people are like, who's Simon Cowell? Um, Simon Cowell is still, still on, on like, America's Got yeah. Talent or something. Find me a young person it. who watches America's Got Talent. <laughs> you know what? You yeah, got me fair. there. You got that's me fair. there. I don't watch America's Got Talent. I just know it exists. <laughs> He's, isn't he the one who discovered One Direction? And then people are going to be like, what's One Direction? 
It's all about Harry. And now. you know what? It was anyway. actually Nicole Scherzinger. They have now released that um, like footage that was not put on there. That it was actually her that put all the boys together. Good for her. Not Simon, but Simon got the credit for it. Anyways. I know too much about One Direction. I don't listen to that. <laughs> well, congratulations, Sandra. A success, even though Judge mm. Emily was a little bit iffy about it. Uh, I'm so sorry. I'm not iffy. It was a clear win. <laughs> let's, I'm just salty. Let's jump into uh, this week's references with Sandra. Weekly references with Sandra. Okay, so for references this week, I want to focus on a TV show, an actor, and a guest star. So first up, let's talk about Gumby. <gasps> yes! I just yeah, watched Gumby! I love that show! <laughs> See, if you guys want to talk about a date, <laughs> right? Gumby and Pokey are both mentioned by Paris when she's venting to Rory, saying, I was flipping through the Harvard class schedules when you were still delighting to the adventures of Gumby and Pokey. Because they're delightful. Mm -hmm. They are. So Gumby anyway. is an American clay animation franchise centered on the titular gray... Nope. On the titular green... Um, on the titular green clay <laughs> character created by Art Cloakey. His name is Art Cloakey. That's a name. Um, and that was in 1953. Gumby is probably one of the most famous examples of stop motion clay animation. Probably one of the first, wasn't it? Yeah, mm -hmm. and he, it was first seen in a three-minute student film by Cloakey, where he was trying to do a parody of Fantasia, the Mickey Mouse thing, um, and he oh. called it Gumbasia. Damn. Gumbasia. Okay. Yeah. Very different things. <laughs> Afterwards, he made a pilot, which was bought by NBC, and then it was picked up for a full series, series run. In the show, Gumby was the main character, and Pokey, an orange pony was his best friend. Later on, new characters such as a blue mermaid named Goo. Goo. Yeah. And a yellow mm -hmm. dinosaur named Prickle joined the show. But really what brought Gumby into the pop culture lexicon is Saturday Night Live. Beginning in 1982, Eddie Murphy, uh, the small actor, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's a popular comedian. He started po uh, parodying Gumby. So the skits would usually revolve on what Gumby was like when the cameras were off, and he would change from a sweet, innocent version to a cigar-smoking, awful, demanding celebrity. He would proclaim, I'm Gumby, damn it, whenever his demands were refused. <laughs> it's a very popular skit, and in 2019, Eddie Murphy finally went back on SNL, and he reprised the role, so I'm sure you can find that on YouTube. But up next, we have an actor. Ricardo Motivan. Motivan? I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I think Multiban is what I've heard. But that's... I think that's the white the person. English pronunciation. Yeah. yeah. So, any of those. <laughs> um, he was a Mexican film and TV actor and was mentioned by Miss Patty. His career spanned seven decades, in which he did a ton Ooh. of genres, from crime to drama to musicals to comedies. Uh, most famously, he played Armando in the Planet of the Apes film series from 1971 to 1972. 
but he also played the villain Khan in Star Trek. In both the show <gasps> and they reprised the role 15 years later in the movie. Interesting. Yeah. Um, he also played Mr. Rourke, Mr. Rourke on Fantasy Island. And he won an Emmy for his role on How the West Was Won. But it's quite possible our audience, and us included, will know him best from the Spy Kids franchise. Yeah. Because he was like, he was the grandpa in the, in the movie. I love the Spy Kids movies. Oh, man. <laughs> I love the first one. They got a little iffy after that, but I love the first one. They're all good. They're all good. <laughs> Whatever. I only remember the first one. But I do know that uh, the kid is married to Megan Trainer. Yes. Really? And every time I see it on TikTok, yeah. Uh, Daryl, I want to say his name I is. I think so. Yeah. But anyways, Ricardo, I love the, the thought that Miss Patty was his receptionist for six months. Uh, he's such an important figure yeah. in Mexican and Latino culture, so it's nice to see him referenced by a Latina in the show. Um, but lastly... I'm going to focus on a guest star. Now, there's one person in this episode where I was like, wait a second. I know him. I know him. We're from where? And it's Fred Jr. Yeah, I was wondering. The little kid. So I don't know if you guys have looked him up, but if you haven't, can you tell me who this little kid is? I recognize his face so much. And I almost looked Mm -hmm. it up and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to spoil it. Because as soon as I realized, I was like, oh, obviously, that's him. Fred Jr. is played by Ryan Mygarini. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. And in the same year he played Fred Jr., he also played Harry Coleman in Freaky Friday. He was the annoying little brother. Yep, that's it. Yeah, to Lindsay Lohan. It was so satisfying figuring out who he was. Because when I saw him, I was like, I know this kid. Where do I know him from? He's so cute. He's adorable. He hasn't really done much else. He had a sporadic roles afterwards, but one of the roles he had was on Teen Wolf. Uh, Justin, I know you watched I, it, so I wanted to ask. Oh my god, who he was he? He played Trent. Trent? Yeah, and I couldn't figure out who Trent was, because I stopped in season three, so I couldn't... He must have been a season four or five person. Okay, I'm googling furiously. Yeah, I have no clue who Trent is. I love that show. Oh, I do remember. Who was he? So, during the period of time where Styles is in the train station, when he's disappeared and everybody has forgotten about him, mm-hmm. Lydia goes upstairs at his house, and there's, like, a ghost boy that's trying to, like, help her remember. Uh, he's the ghost boy. Okay. But, yeah, those were my um, references for this week. Now, Emily... I believe you're going to be talking about an author, but gosh, I can't think of what author was mentioned so many times during this episode, but let's find out. Books, movies, and music with Emily, with Emily. Guys, foe, pose, foes. Foe, mm-hmm, pose, foes. Right? Foes pose foes is apparently the term on Kirk's shirt when two poses are battling it out. I am and will always be convinced that Kirk knew and did not say anything. Because mm-hmm. Kirk is an evil genius. Anyway, Edgar Allan Poe, American writer, poet, editor, critic, and speaker of my teenage emo heart. I was <laughs> obsessed. 
So he was born in 1809, passed away in 1849, best known for his poetry and short stories, particularly his tales of the dark and the mysterious, widely considered as a central figure of romanticism in the U.S., which that one got me. But he was one of the earliest practitioners of the short story and considered to be the inventor of detective fiction. Oh, as well as a significant contributor to the emerging genre of science fiction. And he is one of the first well-known writers to actually make a living through writing alone. So he, uh, Poe was the middle child of David and Eliza Poe, both actors, which from his dramatic side did not surprise me at all, from Boston. His father abandoned the family in 1810 when he was one or right around there, so pretty much immediately. And his mother died a year later due to tuberculosis. Oof. He was a middle child, so he does have a little sister and an older brother. He was then taken in, or, well, all three of the siblings were taken in by John and Francis Allen in Richmond, Virginia, and they were the ones that actually gave him the name Edgar Allan Poe, sticking their last name in there, though they never formally adopted him. One thing that I was thought was fun was in 1824, he served as the lieutenant of the Richmond Youth Honor Guard as the city celebrated the visit of the Marquis de Lafayette. Ooh. And if anybody has watched Hamilton, you know exactly Absolutely. who that is. I tried. I couldn't get through it. <gasps> Whatever, Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was, a, he was in the first not, not because it was bad, but because of the gore. I'm not good with uh, blood and stuff. In Hamilton? Hamilton? I thought you said the I Broadway so play. Sorry. I heard Hannibal. <laughs> no. No. And I was like, Hamilton? Like, I couldn't get through Hannibal. I'm I, sorry. I'm thinking, like, what <laughs> gore is there? David Diggs? <laughs> Hamilton. David Diggs as the Marquis de Lafayette. I heard Hamilton? Hannibal. Wow. Can okay. you explain? I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> not in Hannibal, just, just so like, we're clear. I love this, like, Mandela effect alternate world where Hamilton is just <laughs> awful to watch. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, uh, so John Allen's uncle, he died in 1825, leaving John an inheritance estimated at about $750,000 at the time. Today, that would be roughly $18 million. So he helped pay for Poe to attend the University of Virginia, which was still in its early years, founded by Thomas Jefferson, and was rather chaotic, letting the students self-govern everything um, against things such as gambling, horses, guns, and tobacco. What kind of rules do you get when you have a bunch of college-aged boys self-governing against rules? Guess what? There weren't mm. any. So he and Poe ended up going into debt from gambling. And he's like, John, yo, give me some more money. And John's like, I've already given you enough money. And after a year, he ended up dropping out because he had too much debt. By the way, John did send more money, just not enough. And Poe kept gambling. Oof. So he did, after dropping out, he did end up traveling to Boston in 1827, sustaining himself with odd jobs and started actually writing under the pseudonym Henry Le René, Renette, for his writing for a bit. He did end up enrolling in the U.S. Army as odd jobs were not enough. And during that time, he did release his first book, a collection of poetry called Tamerlane and Other Poems, with the byline of a Bostonian. So he did not have his actual name on that one originally. He was promoted multiple times in the army, eventually earning the rank of Sergeant Major of Artillery, 
and after five years was like, hey, I want to be out of here. And his commanding officer was like, well, you should fix things with your foster dad. But why? Yeah, that question. feels very um, personal. Yeah. Like, right? I guess they must have been close. It wasn't super clear. I'm wondering if his command- commanding officer knew John Allen, because at this point they were completely estranged. So Poe wrote several letters home trying to bridge that gap so he could essentially get out of the army. Eventually he did get out and it's unclear. So Francis, John's wife, ended up passing away in February of 1829 and Poe got home the day after her funeral. So it's questionable as to whether he was actually told of her illness or not. But he was able to get out of the military in April and ended up enrolling in West Point, as is mentioned, during his short time off in between Army and West Point, though, um, he went to stay with his aunt, widowed aunt, Maria Clem, and her daughter, Virginia Clem. Remember that name. She comes back. John Allen remarried, because Francis passed away, and after multiple fights, he eventually disowned Poe. My understanding was Poe kept wanting more money, because, like, you're rich, and John's like, mm. I'm not paying your gambling debts, no. Also, there are apparently a bunch of uh, extramarital affair children involved. Welp. For John. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Not for (laughs) Poe. So Poe went to West Point. He lasted about a year uh, before purposely getting court-martialed, not on accident, for gross neglect of duty, disobedience of order, and refusing to attend formations, classes, or church. He pled not guilty, knowing he would be found guilty, and thus dismissed from the program. So, Fred number one, Poe number one, Fred, you were were not embarrassed to say that you were kicked out of West Point. You went out of your way to get kicked out of West Point. Also, it was in 1831. Poe number one fails, Poe number two is correct. Uh, Shortly after leaving, he was able to publish another volume of his poems, titled Poems. Um, And interesting, it was financed through his fellow cadets at West Point. He basically took up a collection to help him publish his own book. A rough donation of 75 cents per person who contributed, and he raised about $170. That's That's a lot of money back then. Right? He dedicated the the book to them. It did include poems, again, such as Tamerlane and Alaroff, but also had early versions of To Helen, Israfel, and The City and the Sea. He uh, then returned to his aunt's house in March, and his brother Henry, who had unfortunately been ill, partially due to alcoholism, this also comes back, passed away in August. At this point, he was determined to start a career as a writer. Uh, he, the Baltimore Saturday Visitor awarded him a prize in October of 1833 for a short story of Miss MS found in a bottle. I never knew if it was supposed to be like Miss found in a bottle, message found in a bottle. Oh. Anyway, the story brought him to the attention of John P. Kennedy, who helped Poe play some of his stories and introduced him to Thomas White, editor of the Southern Literary Messenger, and Poe eventually became assistant editor in August of 1835. He was unfortunately fired a few weeks later for being drunk on the job. Not gonna lie, he sounds like a winner. Yeah, he is. Uh, So he went back to Baltimore to his aunt's house and got a marriage license for him to marry his cousin, Virginia Clem. First cousin? First cousin. Okay. First cousin? 
first cousin. Yikes. First cousin. He was 26. She was 13. No. Okay. Ah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So he got the marriage license. They did not get married right away, but he got the license. Uh, he got his job back after promising good behavior and went back to Richmond where he did stay at the Messenger until 1837, so another two years. In that time, he published several of his poems, some book reviews, critiques, and stories in the paper. And in May of 1836, him and Virginia got married in their boarding house with a witness falsely claiming she was 21. So, again, she was 14, 15, 15. Oh. I don't like this story. Anymore. Oh. So, uh, so after his multiple uh multiple publishings unfortunately so you guys remember that his mom died of tuberculosis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so does his wife in 1842 she would have been young right uh i i don't know exactly what year she was born but if she was 13 in 1836 and died in 1842 i don't think she broke 21 yikes uh so in 1842 virginia showed the first signs of consumption or well, tuberculosis, while singing and playing the piano, which she described as breaking a blood vessel in her throat. God. She only partially recovered. Poe hit the drink, and he ended up leaving his... He was at a different job by this point, but he ended up leaving his job to find a new position, aiming for a government post. They went to New York, where he worked briefly at the Evening Mirror before he became editor of the Broadway Journal. And 1845, his poem, The Raven, appeared in the Evening Mirror and became a popular sensation, and it made him a household name almost instantly, even though he was only paid $9 for the publication. Man. Because in this time frame that he is trying to create his life as a writer poorly, because, well, writers don't get paid a lot. There was also the Panic of 1837, which I'm not going to lie, I don't know 100% what that was, but there was American publishers often produced unauthorized copies of British works and therefore did not want to pay for American Mm. works. He had to beg to get paid a lot Mm. from the people who published his stuff. I would feel bad, but I don't now that I know his story. Yeah. I feel less bad. Yeah. Yeah. So the Broadway Journal failed in 1846, and he moved to Fordham, New York, in the Bronx, uh, and that is where his home as the Edgar Allan Poe Cottage is located. So Virginia, his wife, did end up dying in 1847 at the cottage. Oh, well, now that's confusing. So she got tuberculosis and actually lived a couple of years with it. I, I don't know how... That, that would be miserable. <laughs> yeah. That would be absolutely miserable. Virginia ended up passing away in 1847 from tuberculosis. So, how old would she have been? 1836, she was 13, so she was born in 1823, so 24? So really young. Still very young. Still very young. So his mom and his wife both died from TB. They often suggest that Poe's frequent theme of the death of the beautiful woman stems from the repeated loss of women throughout his life, including his mother, including his wife. He became increasingly unstable after his wife's death. He did attempt to court another poet by the name of Sarah Helen Whitman, who lived in Rhode Island. That did not work, mostly because of his drinking and erratic behavior. And there's also strong evidence that her mother was like, nope. And then he returned to 
Richmond and resumed a relationship with his childhood sweetheart, Sarah Elmira Royster. He was engaged to her at one point. They lost touch, and he came home and found out that she had married somebody else. Uh, in 1849, he was found semi-conscious in Baltimore, in great distress, and in need of immediate assistance. He was taken to Washington Medical College, where he died on October 7th at 5 in the morning. Basically, he was drunk in the gutter and died of alcohol poisoning. Oh, man, Poe. Yeah. Um, tree. Yeah. 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 So, um, I stand by. He was the speaker of my teenage emo heart. Also kind of a horrible person. Just, you know, don't be friends with him. Or date him. A man of many vices, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, supposedly his death has been attributed to congestion of the brain, cerebral inflammation, pretty much every. uh, Heart disease, epilepsy, syphilis, meningeal inflammation, cholera, carbon monoxide poisoning, and rabies. <laughs> what he have? The most consistent. <laughs> the most consistent thing I saw in my research, just from when I researched him growing up and until now, is he was found drunk in the gutter. Yeah, and ultimately passed away not long after. So that's Edgar Allan Poe, and these people are LARPing him. Yikes. So yeah, that was Edgar Allan Poe. Dark, mysterious. After that, we have Fashion with Jess, which will hopefully not be dark and mysterious. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Making fashion choices, making fashion choices, making fashion choices with Jess. Well, thank goodness, guys. Today we're talking about jammies. (laughs) Hey. Let's bring it back up. It's going to be quick and it's going to be light today. Um, Obviously, with the fire, it kind of throws off everybody's schedules. So we see a lot of people in their pajamas in this episode, and I wanted to talk about pajamas. So let's hit our Gilmore Girls first. Rory's pajamas seem to just be like a long sleeve floral shirt and like sweatpants of some kind, which makes sense, right? Because she's wearing her pajamas uh, when she actually goes to the inn, so they have to be appropriate pajamas. Lorelai has, like, a graphic tee on. Luckily, both of these girls sleep in, essentially, comfy clothes. So, that works out. We also see them in different pajamas when we see them the next night. Uh, Lorelai is obviously sleeping over at Luke's, 
and Rory is obviously sleeping over at Lane's. Lorelai's pajamas are, they look like something Jess might wear normally. Uh, she's doing that short sleeve, long sleeve t-shirt combo. Of course, he would never wear anything with a pink electric guitar on it. Um, but she's got a t-shirt with a pink electric guitar on it and kind of like a blue long sleeve under it. And she also has some kind of like black sweatpants on. And in that scene, we also see Luke's pajamas, which I think it's always interesting to show what like men in TV wear for pajamas because like all of the men in my life, like, you know, my dad, my brother, my grandpa, like I've, I've never known really a pajama guy until my fiance, he wears pajamas, but uh, I grew up in like a boxer household. You know, guys just mm-hmm. slept in their boxers. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness Luke is not a boxers sleeper, and apparently <laughs> neither is Jess. Luke is wearing a long sleeve t-shirt and some gray sweatpants, which, very cozy. His pajamas don't really change throughout the entire no. series either. He just like, looks... The only thing that changes is long sleeve yeah, versus t-shirt. Yeah, he just looks comfy, which is fair. Also, it's cold, yeah. right, winter. Maybe it looks a little yeah. bit different in the summer when it's hot. Can we talk about one other thing with Luke? Yeah. His hair? He got a haircut. Yeah. Luke's got short hair, and it's kind of jarring. When you see him in Miss Patty's, there's like a moment where you're like, oh, who's that guy? (laughs) Who's that guy with the short hair? Also, his hair is a little, uh, a little thicker. Yeah, I was thinking, do you think he's wearing something? That maybe uh that's not his natural I don't hair. So. I don't know if he's wearing something, but they could have done the powder thing where mm-hmm. you like yeah, you look. put like a dark powder in the hair and it you know fills in so you can't see the scalp. Maybe a little bit. Also maybe he hadn't started thinning as much yet. Whatever it is. <laughs> also possible. Uh, I did notice the hair. It was kind of like you said, jarring. Yeah. Like he just looks different. Yeah. He's jarring because he doesn't that's have a true. hat on. That That's true, too. Um, yeah. And we also obviously see Jess asleep, but we can't really see what he's sleeping in. So I unfortunately cannot talk about Jess's jammies. Um, I can talk about Lane's pajamas. Oh, Lane. Her 1800s yeah. nightgown. <laughs> and, like, the thing is, the older I get, the more I'm like, I get it. Nightgowns, kind of bomb. Like... I love a good just throw it on and you're fully covered. Lane's ties at the neck. <laughs> yeah. Has a full it's a ribbon. full long sleeve button up, ties at the neck with a ribbon, high frilly collar, nightgown. Which again, I'm sure is honestly very comfy. But it does feel like something that Mrs. Kim would have bought for her. And this is what a young woman wears to bed. I'm kind of surprised. No, I feel like this is Mrs. Kim passed these pajamas down from the 1800s in her family. I'm kind of surprised that Mrs. Kim doesn't make more of a fuss about Jess seeing the girls in their pajamas. Right? Like, this feels like a very inappropriate moment in I'm kind of surprised that Lane doesn't make a bigger deal of her being seen in those pajamas. I feel like... Like, those are embarrassing pajamas, no? I feel like she just doesn't have like enough respect or care for Jess to really care. Because uh, he's like totally fair. her best friend's yeah. kind of loser boyfriend that she's trying really mm-hmm. hard to root for. And like his opinion of her 
like my headcanon is like she could care less or she couldn't care less people always say that Mm -hmm. wrong and it drives me crazy but rory's pajamas for uh her sleepover are a long sleeve um cherry print shirt which is honestly really cute it's fun to see her in kind of more lorelei-esque stuff because i wouldn't pick cherry print for rory but i think it's really cute uh and i'm sure she's got some kind of sweatpants on but i cannot remember for the life of me we also see somebody else's pajamas named recurring character and that is paris and i specifically wanted to call out paris's pajamas because we've seen paris in her pajamas before remember when she got pulled out of bed in the the middle of the night by the puffs Mm -hmm. and she looked rough she had her zit cream on uh i think that she maybe went out she took my advice and she bought a nice set of pajamas after that because we only see the top of her but it does look like she's got like a nice pj set it's collared it's long sleeve it's blue it's got like a little star or flower print on it but they look like some very nice formal jammies and i thought they look very comfortable for lounging around the house Mourning your Harvard dreams and watching, not General Hospital, because she, quote, doesn't deserve General Hospital. Which, uh, fun fact, by the way, uh, the actor who plays Jamie is on General Hospital for a short amount of time. Okay. And then, very, very briefly, the non-jammies that I want to call are, are we have two good sweaters in this episode. The first sweater we see Lorelai in when she's working at the inn. She's got this blue turtleneck sweater that last time she wore one... I really was, like, hating on the turtleneck because it was oversized. This one is great. It's got a big neck, but it's nice and tight to the body, so I think it's a good balance as opposed to the last one that just felt oversized. And then we also have Rory's white sweater, which we see at the end during the Yale. Oh, my gosh. It's Yale. Um, And it's a really nice kind of, like, cable knit, chunky cardigan sweater. Uh, It feels... It's like something that every cottagecore girl is looking for every time she goes to the thrift store right now. And it's right there in Rory's closet. But yeah, those were kind of my big call-outs for the episode. I did not mention the Babette wears oatmeal, faux pose foes, or Rory's going to Yale t-shirts because I talked about them so much in the last episode. But that would be the most iconic piece of fashion out of this episode, if you ask me. I love Rory's white. Sweater. It's very cute. Super mm-hmm. cute. If if you did not mention it, I was going <laughs> yes, to mention it. Yes, it's a great sweater. Um, was there anything else that you guys loved or hated that I did not chat about? I like Kirk's, uh, like, baseball jacket. Oh, kind of like the Letterman style oh, yeah, jacket? Yeah. Um, I thought it was actually a little too cool for Kirk. Oh, okay. But anyway, he works so well. Yeah. Kirk is fine. Well, there's he also so well. the, the scene where he shoves the t-shirts off uh, the table that's part of the <laughs> intro. I always love mm-hmm. that scene. Yes. Yeah. I do too. Well, that was fashion. And after fashion, we have Star Solo Speaks. La, 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 All right. So we're going to start with um, some comments from some previous weeks. So first up, we have... A comment on Val Dupig, which was uh, the, like, wintry episode. Winter Carnival. Yeah, the Winter Carnival. Mm. And Two Hours from Pluto says, The biggest question I have is, why have I, as in Two Hours from Pluto, 
read The Art of War by Sun Tzu. I'm no Rory Gilmore. I never even graduated high school, for goodness sake. I've also read The Prince by Machiavelli, an equally similar guide to leadership, politics, and war. I wouldn't call either of them enjoyable, but they were definitely intriguing. The idea of what personal qualities make someone a great leader, how easily subjects can be controlled, and all that nonsense, and then like a, an emoji with her tongue out. I, I didn't read either of these books, so you definitely got one on me here. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but, like, awesome that you did. I'm so impressed. Yeah, I'm impressed. And then we also had Baking Puff, who I believe is a new listener. Yeah, I don't remember Baking Puff. Welcome. And she also left a comment on That'll Do Pig. They say, um, finally caught up and remember to follow you guys on Instagram. So thank you. Just that's Sandra saying Yay. it. Um, please follow us on Instagram. We put a, a lot of effort into there. My thoughts on Clara on the Winter Carnival. Do you reckon, reckon, I love that. Do you reckon Dean may have put <laughs> her up to any of this? Tell her to make him look good to Rory under the incentive that they may get back together that way. As Clara mentions later on, she never liked Lindsay and was happy Rory was back. Ooh. That's an interesting proposition. A conspiracy. Right? Uh, so Clara is reminding Rory about what a good guy slash boyfriend Dean used to be. And in case Jess does show up, Dean told Clara to be extra annoying to maybe get Jess to be mean or rude to her, showing Rory the difference between Dean and Jess. I will say, I think Clara's just annoying. I, yeah, I think that's maybe giving a little too much credit to the writing yeah. <laughs> here, which I love ASP's work. No hate. But I think Clara is just poorly written and terrible. Yeah. <laughs> But I like the thought. Yeah, absolutely. That's like you know. a great headcanon. Mm-hmm. I'm stuck on, I would not be this nice to my brother if I was Clara. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I know some siblings are nicer to each other, but I would not do that. I'm like, mm, It's very out. Springsteen family, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. They get along way too well. But Baking Puff ends it with, I'm sorry if this is not the right way to contribute to Stars Hollow Speaks. This is absolutely the right way. But you can also email. Yes. You can also send us a message. No one sent us a message. Someone. Anyone. Call us. Please. Yes. And like Baking us. Puff, uh, we apologize that it took approximately three months for you to hear that your comment was <laughs> oh my God. on it. But we did. We were so excited. Thank you for commenting. We did get one more response on the Melt Paris Meltdown episode with the Chilton speech from Annalisa. Said Richard not registering the full sex meltdown at the end is hilarious. Because if you recall, he slept through that entire yeah, thing. Yeah, Richard is somewhere else. <laughs> he thought they did great. He thought they did fantastic. And then even gave Rory some money for it. So thank you, Annalisa. And then also on our request for today's comments about today's episode, we got a message from Lisa. She said, this is a fantastic Lorelai episode. And I'm not going to lie. It might have contributed to my immediate thought of Lorelai yeah. as townsperson. Mm. 
Lisa, you might have you might have been the reason for that. You really see her bring it out for her job and her kid. The way she handles the fire and is looking for her staff, maybe minus taking over Luke's for breakfast, to really having Rory look at her college options and being clear that if Yale's best, she will enthusiastically support Rory. And the juxtaposition at the end of Rory's future seemingly sliding into place and Lorelai's being pushed into uncertainty is mm-hmm. so good. And I know we kind of mentioned that, but I don't think I fully grasped the, like, yeah, this is Rory's future getting set and Lorelai's future getting thrown yeah, up in the Yeah, that's a really yeah. good observation. That's a, that is a fantastic observation. So, Lisa, thank you. All right. And rounding it out here, I have uh, this episode featured two Poes and we've got uh, two Gabbies have written into us. So... <laughs> I'm going to start with Gabby. And Gabby said, The Poe's plot was so unnecessary, but I loved the chemistry Luke and Suki had at, I'm assuming the rest of that is Luke's. Um, Yeah, honestly, their friendship chemistry, when it's on, is so good. Mm Mm-hmm. It is. It really is. Real quick about the Poe's, we didn't mention this in the actual episode, but does it not give you vibes of the Troubadours? A little bit. Tudor 1 versus 2. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Hmm. It's kind of like a redux, but just different characters. I mean, there's clearly a right Poe and a wrong yeah. Poe. As a number one, Poe number one did not yeah. have those facts, right? <laughs> and there's clearly a right Troubadour and a bad Troubadour. Oh. Well, he, he wasn't really bad. bad. He yeah. was actually really sweet. And nice. <laughs> well, thank you. He just wasn't Thank first. you, Gabby. And then Gabriella said... Lots of ups and downs on this episode. It breaks my heart that Madeline and Louise don't notice Paris is missing for the entire week. We're to believe they're her only friends, and they don't care she's gone. And it breaks my heart even more to see Paris's room. It is so bland and gives me grandma vibes, but also like she didn't get to be a kid at all. I do love that Lorelai ends up telling Luke about the dream, and they're both low-key smiling about it. And then the scene of both snoring just cracks me up every time. And then we get to Laura going back to the inn, and she's heartbroken, but at the same time, in the middle of this craziness, Laura found time to somehow do all the Yale decor for Rory, and it is so sweet. Yes. Like, I don't have any idea how Lorelai did everything she did in this episode. It's one of those, like, it's a TV show know. moments, because I don't think any it's a mortal woman could do everything that she does. But yeah. It's one of our black hole moments. <laughs> yeah. Super mom, mo- momager. Absolutely. Super momager moment. And great, there we go. great comments yep. about Paris as well. It is really, really sad that Paris's only friends didn't even notice. So thank you, Gabby, and thank you, Gabriella, for writing in this week. Thank you to everyone who um, sent any comments or hit us up on Instagram. All appreciated. Thank you. But let's end this episode. So coffee. It was a stressful episode. Yeah. I mean, genuinely, like, a dangerous, stressful episode. Mm -hmm. So whenever there's stress, there's coffee. And uh, Rory drinks two cups of coffee, one in the beginning um, at Luke's, and I think the second one is at Luke's as well, Mm -hmm. a later scene. Uh, But Lorelai has three cups of coffee. She has one in the two Luke scenes, and then uh, she has one with Luke 
in the apartment, mm. which is crazy because they're about to go to oh. sleep. I'm surprised that he was willing and to serve who, her. I right? Yeah. I'm. Did he have coffee upstairs? So here's my. I'm thing. surprised he had coffee upstairs. Luke used to be a tea guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So in my head, I'm like, he's drinking tea, but Lorelai doesn't drink tea. So what does she drink? It has to be coffee. Unless he made her hot chocolate. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm also going forward, I guess, to the Luke and Lorelai getting together when she goes downstairs in just his shirt because that's where the mm. coffee is. That there's none in his yeah. apartment. I don't know. But they have coffee cups, both of them. Yeah. Well, mugs. I would say, yeah, if it. we see Lorelai drinking a hot beverage, we can assume it's coffee. Unless told explicitly otherwise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, right. three for Lorelai and two for Rory. That's more coffee than we've had in a long time. It is. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Stressful episode, though. Well, that was our bits for a bits. I'm going to emphasize B-I-T-S because apparently... <laughs> Not B I T C A. That's a real hard word for me to say. <laughs> so that was the bits. I heard for you. a tale of pose and fires. As always, I was Jess, and I was Emily, and I was Sandra. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. This is Town Meeting, a Gilmore Girls Rewatch podcast with Sandra, Jess, and Emily. And you can follow us on Instagram at Town Meeting Pod. And email us at townmeetingpod at gmail.com. You can subscribe to us on Spotify and support us at buymeacoffee.com slash townmeeting. If you like, send us a message on our answering machine at anchor.fm slash townmeetingpod and click message. Thank you again. We appreciate all of you.